Today's episode of the Hop4 podcast is proudly sponsored by Brookhouse Hops. Brookhouse Hops in Hertfordshire supply and grow the finest quality hops from our family-run farms and provide an exceptional personalised service direct to craft brewers throughout the UK. Choosing from our lovingly grown UK hops with their complex and delicate aromas or pick from our wide selection of popular US, New Zealand or European hop varieties. For a fresh way to purchase your hops, visit brookhousehops.com, that's brookhousehops.com, to place your order or call our friendly team. And for free delivery on your next online order, use the code HOPFORWARD, that's HOPFORWARD, all one word, at the checkout. I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Happy birthday, me, because next Wednesday, the 7th of April, it's my 39th birthday. And that's okay if you listen to these episodes as they're being published, there's still plenty of time to send me a birthday card and a present. And I decided this year to round off one decade before entering another that I would treat myself to a beer engine probably a year too late into lockdown given that pubs are about to reopen here in the UK. Um, But, you know, the illusion is now complete. You know, I've run a small commercial brewery, very small, and practically have my own pub all from the comfort of my home. I've made it. Well, thanks for tuning into the Hot 4 podcast. It's been a great journey and I guess this is it now. Now I've made it. I jest, I jest. Uh, the main reason, other than coming of age, to install a hand pull in my beer cellar was for my love of cask beer. I've always loved cask beer and have treated it with the reverence it deserves for such a historic institution of this small island. But it has only been over this last year since access to pubs has been severely limited that I've come to appreciate it on a whole other level. I think the main thing I've missed are beer styles that lend themselves to cask beer. Styles that, until you don't have free access to them, you're likely to snub in favour of something juicy, hazy, tart, sticky or full of donuts. You know, blondes, bitters, pale ales, things that are brewed with British hops. Now, already I can hear what some of you are thinking. Fuggles, thanks, but I'll suck on a twig instead. Bramling Cross, (laughs) I'd rather eat grass. Goldings, I think you make galaxy, mate. There's a lot to be said about British hops. And while they may not be that exuberant friend who arrives at the party all blinged up hoisting a keg over their shoulder, because obviously we all keep those kind of friends. They're the kind of reliable company that we keep that are steadfast, cerebral and sophisticated. And yet they have a charm and character exclusive to them. There are other more serious reasons, though, to choose British hops for your next brew. In beer, we often talk about and fiercely defend supporting local breweries and businesses, which many of us do in droves, but then snub the very hop farmers cultivating our own soil by amassing neepers and IPAs in our stash that use hops that have been exclusively imported from around the world. A double standard, perhaps. I'm not judging... I'm just merely prodding the bear and putting that out there. 
But this highlights a more pressing issue, a global issue of magnitudes that far outweigh the coronavirus pandemic. I am, of course, referring to climate change. Last April, did you notice planes in the sky? I did, largely because they weren't there. And when I'd be sat in my garden, I'd hear that low rumble of a flight departing from Manchester airport. I'd look up and gaze intently at the sky, announcing to my family, oh look, a plane. As if we lived in an age of horse and carts and one of those newfangled motor vehicles had just driven by. All those hops we import from other parts of the world to satisfy our thirst for those heavily dry hops IPAs are clocking up some serious air miles and CO2 emissions. Now, before you throw the hops out with the broom water, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use hops from regions beyond our own for one second. That would be terrible for beer. However, it's worth considering when you make your hop build choices how you can support your local hop farmers. This is one of the many eye-opening points that Ali Kapper, director of the British Hop Association, makes in today's episode. We discuss the plight of hop farmers everywhere, particularly British hop farmers, and supply chain businesses who have largely been ignored by the government when doling out discretionary grants and support. We talk about climate change and the impacts that our extreme weathers are having on hops and their growers. And we end on a rather sombre note to discuss why suicide rates are so high amongst farmers in general and what we can do to support farmers who live tough lives and at the forefront of bearing the seasons. Finally, you may be wondering what beer I brewed destined for my beer engine. Well, it's a nice pale ale, hopped with Admiral and Jester, both British hops. And just to show that I'm not completely perfect, a bit of Galaxy 2. To introduce a bit more flavour to the Hot Four podcast, each week we'll be featuring a beer of the week, something to engage and inspire the senses. And while I'm sure you could sit here and listen to my cerebral tones in the way that you'd indulge on the silky voices of Steve Lamack or Joe Wiley, I thought I would pass my microphone over to my good friend and beer buff, Linda Birch, if nothing but to give your ears a break from listening to me. Uh, Linda is the owner of Brewery Market, the independent beer retailer of the year 2021 in the Drinks Retailing Awards. Nestled in the heart of Twickenham, Brewery Market is on a mission to entice you with courageous elixirs from creative brewers from across the world. And there's nobody I trust more to talk about beer with such passion and enthusiasm and knowledge other than Linda. So I'll hand over to Linda to talk about her chosen beer of the week. Hi, I'm Linda from the flavour-focused brewery market and I want to talk about beer beyond bitterness. Uh, tonight we're going to be drinking a beer called Fi from Brewery Alvin. They're a really small brewery based in Belgium. They have a collection of about five fooders, including one mega fooder with a 75 hectolitre capacity. It's basically the pride of the brewery and it's the uh, it's the footer that features on their logo. I love this brewery because they've got a really great ethos, a great respect for their environment. They're really enthusiastic about everything. Glenn, who started the brewery, 
uh, in 2004 with Davey. He's got so much energy, he's such a great raconteur. He teaches special needs in his uh, a special needs class in his spare time. He even has an annual brewing class that he teaches. And you know, when he's he's got so much love for that, you can feel that that's going all the way through into the brewery. Since 2009, they have a chap working there called Mark, and he's solely responsible for the uh, Morpheus yeast, which is their house yeast, their own strain which they cultivated. And that basically gives the Alvines mixed fermentation beers their unique flavour. And if you ever get to visit the brewery, Mark actually makes bread with the yeast. It's really delicious. Glenn actually visited Brewery Market back in 2009. It's one of the first Meet the Brewers that we were lucky enough to host at the shop. And it was part of their fellowship members tour that they do every year. So basically, it's inspired by Lord of the Rings. The reason now escapes me, but... Um, they travel around Europe, I think, and the UK, and you pay about 100 euros, I think, a bit more now, and you get six exclusive beers every year, and I think you get to go there and eat bread, and there's other perks included as well, but the beers are just are just their best stuff that they've saved up, you know, really amazing flavours, like the honey cake is just wild. Anyway, so the good part about Alvine is they... As I said, they've got this great respect for their environment and they only use whole fruit. They don't use sort of purees or concentrates when they when they make their fruited beer. Um, they do slow maturation process and it gives the beer much more sort of delicate complexity. But they'll go out and they'll pick all of the slowberries from the local area to go in their beers every year. You know, they'll pick the elderberries and all sorts of things. It's fantastic. So these guys... You know, when you're tasting these beers, you're really tasting the local area as well. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, so, f as I said, Fire is the beer that we're going to be tasting. It's a it's a Fire is actually we're actually going to be tasting the rhubarb version of it. So, Fire is like a pale, strong beer that they make a sour blonde ale. It's kind of like the base beer, and they there's various versions of it with other flavours that you can get. Um, I think they whack about a whole ton of wheat into the grain bill. So it gives it um, a really nice balance between sweet and sour. Um, it's it's match, It matures in um, stainless steel tanks. Uh, obviously, it's got the Morpheus yeast. Um, and when they add the fruit to the beer, the the fruit is seasonal. So the so the so the rhubarb one that's obviously spring now. So it's it's quite difficult to get this other times of the year. So rhubarb every spring, chefs across the country are cooking with rhubarb. All sorts of different things you can get these days, like dehydrating the stalks into jelly candies rhubarb sorbet i mean there's so much inspiration out there for rhubarb i mean it's a shame that it can't be a whole year long the season um it's super tart rhubarb so it balances out real sweet flavors really well and actually it's often treated more like a fruit than a vegetable as you probably know it's delicious with custard it's fantastic in a crumble 
it fits well with pork dishes and it's just packed full of vitamin K so it's really great for healthy blood, platelets and, and iron so think about eating it more often as well as having it in your beer. Right, let's get this beer open. It's poured into the glass just a beautiful copper, rose copper colour. It's got this gorgeous sort of slightly off-white head and just tons and tons of fruit coming in off the nose. Toffee, malt aroma, sort of red grapes maybe. Yeah, it's quite whiny on, on the nose, that's for sure. And a, a slight sort of acidity to the scent as well. So, mm, the first sip immediately makes my mouth water from the sourness of it. But there's just a beautiful dry finish to that afterwards. Almost a hint of dark chocolate there. Very, very slight roast characteristics. I would say absolutely, you know, hardly any bitterness at all to this beer. I wouldn't describe this beer as hoppy in any way. The flavour is just full of fruit, tartness from the rhubarb and this wonderful sort of herbiness in the background. I can think to myself that this is going to pair really well with a custard cream or a ginger nut biscuit. Fantastic. Maybe if I was going to be a little bit more adventurous, I know rhubarb works fantastically well with rose. And I'm already getting sort of dark chocolate notes in this, so I'm thinking like a Turkish delight or something is just going to go down a treat with this. Something that springs to mind when we talk about rhubarbs as well is obviously uh, rhubarb is from uh, Siberia, as we know and it does really well in cold weather uh, and obviously it gets grown in England too. It, they call it um, forced rhubarb in this country, it's, it's grown in sheds. Uh, anyway, there's an area up near Yorkshire, West Yorkshire, which was called the Rhubarb Triangle. It was about nine miles square and, and it was basically an area near Rothwell that was famous for for producing rhubarb. Um, but in like the 1930s, I think, it covered an area so large, like 30 square miles, that they used to call it the rhubarb triangle. <laughs> um, and I think they produced like 90% at that time of the world's forced rhubarb from sheds between Leeds and Bradford. <laughs> anyway, um, I hope you enjoy this beer. I hope you're adventurous with the pairings and I hope you enjoy them. Just let me know. Thanks, Linda. That sounds lush indeed. If you want to get hold of that or a range of other great beers, head over to brewerymarket.co.uk and follow the links to their online shop. That's brewerymarket.co.uk.
bits, like standing in the cellar trying to work out whether that keg you bought several weeks back is still within its best before date, here's all the necessary blur. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website, hotforward.beer, to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding, creative media, and business consultancy for breweries, bars, bottle shops, and supply chain businesses. And finally, don't forget to thank our sponsors this week. Brookhouse Hops in Hertfordshire supply and grow the finest quality hops from our family-run farms and provide an exceptional personalised service direct to craft brewers throughout the UK. For a fresh way to purchase your hops, visit brookhousehops.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the Hot Four Podcast, I'm joined by Ali Kappa. Hello, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, looking at your email footer, you appear to have numerous titles and wear various hats. So um, why don't you start by telling our listeners what those hats are and what you do? Okay, uh, well, first and foremost, I farm in partnership with my husband on the Herefordshire Worcestershire border. And we farm apples and hops in equal measure. Uh, so on the hop side of the business, we've got 100 acres of hops, which would put us, I guess, in the top three or four in the country right. of hop growers. And then on the apple side, um, we grow mostly dessert fruit, eating apples for the supermarkets. But we also grow some cider apples for, um, in our case, um, the C&C company, which um, is the Magnus and Blackthorn cider brands. Right. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot of apples then. <laughs> yeah, I think I haven't uh, done a count up recently, but it's certainly 10 or 15 million apples a year if you're counting individual apples. So yeah, yeah. it's lots of apples, <laughs> lots of hops as well. I think we talk about producing enough hops here for about 46 million pints of cask beer. Wow, that's amazing. So it's quite a lot of beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you're also involved in the British Hop Association. So can, can you, I'd love to know what that is. Yeah, so for the industry, I, I'm involved in actually various parts of the industry. The British Hop Association um, is uh, really the representative body for hop growers. Um, we raise a voluntary levy from hop growers and we use that money to uh, fund a breeding programme for new hop varieties. So that's where the majority of the money is spent. So um, there are lots of new varieties that we're looking at every year. And um, at the moment, there are um, nine quite exciting ones that are out on farm trial on a few of the farms around the country. And uh, right now we're assessing others that were grown at the breeding programme last year as to whether we will also put those out on farm. Mm. Um, so there's that, that's really the British Hop Association's main reason for being is to represent the industry and the breeding programme. And then, yes, I get stuck into all sorts of other things for the National Farmers Union, British Apples and Pears, um, and various other bits and pieces. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into um, some of that in our conversation. Um, I mean, today I want to chat about the supply chain in beer production and dispense from grain to glass. And I think there's, there's a lot of talk at the moment with the pandemic about how hard pubs and restaurants and bars have been hit across the world. 
world. But there's very little said about the supply chain itself. So I wondered, I guess, with your oversight and, and your many hats, can you talk us through some of the detail about how the supply chain has been affected and what effect that has on businesses like yours? Well, I think if I start a little bit perhaps with how does the supply chain work normally yep. when when things are normal? Um, and, and I'll look at it through the lens of farming, but obviously there's a huge supply chain yeah. um, of wholesalers and businesses, specialist businesses um, that provide pubs, restaurants, hotels with all sorts of product um, and services. And if pubs and restaurants and hotels are closed, all of that stops. Um, just looking at it through the lens of farming, um, so I guess I know most about malting barley and hops. We don't grow malting barley, but um, there are similarities and there are some differences. Um, a brewer needs to know that he is going to have a regular supply of hops and and malting barley um, and in order to make sure that he has um, confidence around his supply he will offer contracts and he may offer those contracts to a merchant and the merchant then offers the contract to the growers um, or some brewers will offer their contracts direct to the grower that's that's rarer these days but it does happen why? Why do they do that? Um, well, first of all, we don't produce hops all year. Um, and so to the uninitiated, the hop plant is perennial, which means it grows back every year. Um, and if you haven't seen a hop yard, or it's called a hop garden in Kent, a hop yard in Herefordshire, Worcestershire, if you haven't seen one, it's a big structure of post and wire work. When I say big, we're talking 16, 18 foot tall, and it covers a whole field. This is a big structure of posts and wires. And to that, every spring, when the plant starts to emerge, um, hop growers go through their yards and they string the yard. So they create a framework of string, which allows the hop to grow up. Um, and that job is done by hand. Um, so the plant emerges in the spring and then it takes all summer to grow and we harvest it in September. So we only harvest it once a year. And obviously yields, the level of production, is subject to what the weather does mm. to us to a great uh, a larger um, extent. And it's because you've only got that once a year opportunity to harvest the crop, and because you can't crystal ball exactly, precisely what you're going to produce. We're not in a factory with a roof producing widgets here. We are, we are, we do feel like a bit of a factory actually, but without a roof. But we're open to the elements and the weather can make quite a difference to mm. what's produced. Um, so that's why brewers and merchants make contracts with growers. So what does COVID mean right now? Well, the pubs have been closed for the best part of the year. I mean, it's actually quite hard to remember Eat Out to Help Out. But I did participate with vigour in Eat Out to Help Out. Um, but it's very hard to remember and recall all of that. It was only really one month. It was a one-month wonder, wasn't it, in yep. August? And pretty much otherwise, the pubs have either been closed or very constrained. The hops that we produce here in the UK predominantly go into British brewers for the production of cask ale. 
and you need to be in a pub to drink car scale. Um, Now, there are some car scale brands that go into bottle and can, um, either as a live product or as a pasteurized product. Um, But the the supply, really, about 70% of, this is before COVID, about 70% of all cask ale drunk in the UK was drunk in a pub. Mm. So if you close the pubs, you have a massive impact on that whole supply chain. So what's happening for us now is, um, well, last year, because of course this was all happening in February, March, just as the plants were starting to emerge, and you can't stop a hot plant growing. Um, It's a bit like an orchard. Once you've planted that tree, it's there. So um, the industry came together. I'm really proud. The hot growers were amazing last year. They all came together. And we talked a lot weekly. Uh, it, was very, it was a very anxious time, but we talked every week about how to try and mitigate the problem that we could see coming, which was huge surpluses. And nobody wants a huge surplus in a market because it distorts the market. It means that the price drops through the floor. Um, but it also means that you've got you've effectively got food waste. You've got product that you've invested time and energy into mm. uh, that nobody wants. So... Growers did a lot last year to try and reduce production. Um, that's very hard to do when the crop is, you know, just starting to grow. Um, here on our farm, we actually took um, some acreage out. We um, had a look at the least well-performing variety, and we just said, right, we won't grow that this year, despite the fact that we had a contract on it. Right. But we spoke to our merchant and said, we're going to try and do our bit how you know how how would this sit with you and he said yeah that would be great please because of course as the year went on um the hop merchants who supply brewers have found that brewers don't want to make contracts um the hops that they've got in their warehouses aren't selling because it's the beer it just isn't being produced and so of course as we enter a new hop growing year this year um the message coming from brewers and hop merchants is we don't want your hops, even if they're contracted. Mm. Wow, my and that's hard. Mm. Um, now, nobody's going to want to get into a legal fight about this because, a contract, yes, a contract is a contract, but the whole chain is suffering. Um, the problem is that farmers can't take all that pain on their own. Um, just to, put it, to look at it through the lens of our own business, if we haven't got sales for any of our hops, what do we do? They're going to grow anyway. Um, now, we could do some things. We could do it. would be pretty dramatic, but we could do some things to stop the crop growing. We could spray it off with chemicals to stop the crop growing. But if we did do that, we'd have no income. Mm. And we run a large business here with a large staff, uh, we've got a big overhead. We've got lots of kit and machinery, as you can probably imagine. Yep. You can't just switch the overhead off. So what does that mean? It means we're going to make a massive loss. And actually, you can't sustain that. We made a big loss last year. You take 25% of your acreage out, that's all your profit gone. Because your profit is always in the last yep. – it's the same for anybody. But it's always in the last 5 to 10% of what you do, yep. uh, whatever you're manufacturing. Um, so – the position for hop growers right now is very precarious, extremely precarious. And it's one that um, we are talking to government about the 
the department that looks after farming is called DEFRA, the Department of Environment, um, Food and Rural Affairs. And we are talking to them about um, putting forward some mitigation measures for the supply chain for hospitality and particularly for brewers. Um, the parallel in cider is slightly different, actually. Um, whereas in, in beer and brewing, we've, we've now got hundreds, we've got thousands of brewers in the UK. Um, all, a lot of them are quite small, buying hops. Um, in cider, you've got really four or five big makers and they also contract their cider apples. Um, so most growers have got a 25 or 30 year contract and most, so I'm um, giving you national figures now, uh, most of those contracts would be more than halfway through. So in their 17th, 18th, 20th year. What the cider makers have done um, is look at their whole cost base and say, well, it costs us a lot of money to press that fruit and it costs us a lot of money to concentrate that fruit um, because, again, they're only harvesting it once a year, so they have to store it by turning it to concentrate. So some cider makers last year and again this year are saying to growers, we don't want to take all or part of your crop. We'll pay you for it, but we don't want to take it. Um, we'd like you to either drop it to the floor or send it to um, a food waste plant. They're called anaerobic digesters. Right. Um, so, but but that's a different scenario for the grower because the grower is still being paid. Whereas in hops, that offer to pay for them is not coming forward. Um, now, I can understand why, because if you look at the cask beer figures and you look at what happened last year, um, I've had some figures through recently that say that the year-on-year -year sales for cask beer are down by over 30%. And please bear in mind that the first quarter of last year was really unaffected. Yep. We didn't lock down until the end of March. Um, whereas cider, overall figures, they have grown. And, and that's because they're bigger businesses that were already bottling and canning anyway. So more product just got switched into yep. bottle and can. And they were able to ride that retail growth. They're not very happy with their profitability, but they did get growth. So it, it, whilst it looks like um, cider and hops is the same, it's actually it's not. The markets are quite different. So it's a tough place to be right now. Yeah. Um, wow. Gosh. It's, um, I mean, I think it's interesting as well, because um, I guess with any kind of farming, you know, if, if you're farming... I guess I know cider apples and eating apples are different, but like if you for a lot of farmers, the produce is going. I guess, and forgive my naivety about like um, barley, for example, but surely some of that malted barley could get used to for some other edible purpose for animal feed. Yes, yeah. so it can so it can be used for animal feed. The other big difference with malting barley is it's an annual crop. Yeah, so you can choose not to grow it. Right. Because you plant the seed every year, whereas with hops, um, the plant is in the ground, the root is in the ground, and it it regrows every year. And you've got this huge structure. Mm. Um, just to put that structure into um, into context, uh, the investment in that post and wire work frame and the plants 
when you first start as a hop grower is about 45 to 50,000 pounds a hectare. And so you wouldn't make that investment if you thought you were only going to get one or two years. You make that investment because you think you're going to get a 20 or 25 year life Mm. from the hop yard. Yeah. Goodness. I mean, I guess the thing with hops is like, generally speaking, they only really go in one product. (laughs) As far as I'm aware, you know, I don't know if hops go in anything else. Um, you know, there's a little bit that goes into sleeping remedy, but right. um, it's such a tiny part of the market. No, they only go into yeah. Beer. So it's you know, I, I could I can see how hot farmers would be more affected, whereas you know other farmers, you know, like you said with animal feed and stuff, you, you could at least move that product from one segment to another. Um, I mean, just just bearing all that in mind, then what's going to be the long term effects um, as a result of the pandemic um, on hot farmers? Like, what are the forecasts? Well, if you could tell me when the pandemic is going to end, I could probably give you a forecast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is, uh, the, is the honest answer. We did some modelling last year. We did some modelling last June for the hop industry. And our, last June, our model said that, um, can, can you remember, we were all very concerned about the impact of social distancing back then mm. and the impact that was going to go on. It's going to have on pubs, but we did modelling and we applied a reduced rate of sale based on social distancing, lower capacity levels in pubs. But we didn't forecast in lockdown two or lockdown three. And I'm, a, I, it's not going to sound like it. I am a very optimistic person. My glass is always um, half full. It's not half empty. Mm. Um, but I'm not confident that there won't be significant restrictions again in the winter of 21-22. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was talking to um, Nick Bowley from Camera yesterday uh, for another podcast recording. And um, I was saying to him, do you envision the lockdowns for the next few winter seasons at least being like a regular occurrence? And I mean, he pushed back a little bit and said, well, if if it, if they are, then, you know, hospitality is being unfairly penalised because it's, you know, those when schools reopen after the summer holidays, lo and behold, with all that mixing, you know, the figures went up. My wife's a teacher, you know, and, and like she was just like, this is bonkers. Like, why, why are all these kids in a classroom together, quote unquote, safe? you know with little if any social distancing and yet you know pubs with all the hand sanitizer screens ppe track and trace and all the rest of it aren't safe um but yeah and 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 i'd sort of raise that point about um i think personally think there will be these lockdowns for the next at least for the next few seasons Well, when you listen carefully to what's coming out of government, they're talking about a pandemic becoming endemic and they're talking about a five to 10 year recovery plan, which suggests that um, they do think it's going to affect the economy, certainly for the next two or three years. Mm. Um, So, yeah. So to go back to your question, what am I forecasting? I think it's an impossible thing to forecast. What we're trying to do... um, which is ever, I mean, farmers are really resilient folk. Um, they also have farming, farmers do have some of the highest suicide rates. Um, so whilst I'm confident of resilience, I'm 
also just quite measured that there's only so far you can push that. Right. Um, and I am concerned about the mental health impact of all of this. Um, however, I think the only way we can work through this as an industry is one, to keep talking to our customers um, and to keep the lines of communication well and truly open and to try and work together mm. to resolve it. Um, so I would like to see brewers and merchants think if, if, if the government does hand down any mitigation measures to them, whether that's in reduced duty or whether it's in further grants, I'd like them to think about their contractual obligations to the farmers that produce their crop for them. Um, I would like to think that they would start to mitigate some of the lost income for farmers and we will, as an industry, continue to talk to government about the sorts of schemes that they could bring down um, for hop farmers. But it's a really tough one because um, this type of disruption, and that's, that feels like not a strong enough word, um, this is a seismic change. Mm. And um, I think we will see that the industry downsize quite significantly um there's been quite a lot of talk about the bottom 25 percent of pubs won't survive this i think that's true of the bottom 25 percent of the supply chain as well it just won't survive um define bottom is bottom the smallest is it the least profitable is it the the lowest quality um it's probably a combination of all of those things um it's it's a real tough one and as somebody that represents the industry I'm, and i'm i love hops and i love the hop growers are an amazing bunch they're a very eclectic bunch and they do say it as it is um but this is going to be a really tough period for them uh, and so i think if um anybody listening knows a hop grower um put an arm around them um bring them a bottle of beer um, and, you know, to the brewers out there that might be listening to this, um, stand beside them because they're going to need you. Mm. And if you're if you have a choice between um, a British hop and a hop that's traveled halfway around the world um, do what's right for the environment and choose a British hop. Yeah. Well, I mean, that leads us very nicely on to um, the next topics I wanted to cover, which were climate change and um, the types of hops. So I'll, I'll ask the types of hop question first. So, I mean, brewers are increasingly reaching out for American hops to include in their arsenal of beers. So, you know, with hops such as Citra, Mosaic and Simcoe, which seems to be the holy trinity of hops, particularly for New England IPAs in the UK. Um, but, you know, with new varieties as well, such as Lotus and Sambro becoming increasingly popular, where, where does that leave British hops and British hop farmers with such a thir insatiable thirst and appetite for these big, punchy flavours and hops? So, um, when you're brewing a beer, there is often actually four or five hops in the beer. So, and I'll come back to the terroir and the reason why the flavours are where they are in mm. the world. I'll come back to that in a minute. But if you're putting four or five hops in a beer and you want that citrus flavour, so choose citra. But if you're looking at other hops to put alongside it, choose British hops and do what's right for the environment. Mm. 
So why are the flavors where they are in the world? Um, it is it is a grape word, terroir, yeah. means the combination of soil and climate. Um, we have a mild maritime climate in the UK. That it doesn't feel like it at the moment. It was minus <laughs> no. seven here last night. <laughs> but but it is mild compared to Yakima Valley, Washington State, compared to continental Europe, we don't tend to get as cold in the winter or as hot in the summer. So the downside of that is that the, the very intense single note high flavours are harder to get in the UK. The upside of what I've just said is that we are not depleting natural resources, natural water resources in the same way that many other hop growing regions are. If you go to the Yakima Valley in Washington state, it is a desert. It's a semi-arid climate. Mm. The only reason it grows hops and fruit is because they take water from the Cascade Mountains yes. to irrigate that semi-arid area. That is not sustainable. That that the snowpack is, the, and the, there's often stories about this if you follow it, the, the snowpack is less and less each year because of climate change. The water, their natural resources are reducing. Same is true in California. 70% of all fruit and veg consumed by American citizens comes from California. They have no water. So America needs to find a new place to grow its fruit and veg. Mm. And brewers need to think more carefully about where they're, buying their hops from the uk more than half the crop it's not even irrigated it doesn't need to be irrigated if you're down in the southeast and you're on light sandy soil you do need to irrigate but do we irrigate hops in the uk anything like to the volume that they do in the states in continental europe in new zealand no nothing like we use a lot less water because it falls naturally from the sky so and then, of course, on the subject of climate change, there is just the carbon footprint of moving what is a relatively heavy product halfway around the world. Mm. Whether it comes as a baled leaf hop, whether it comes as pellets, it's not light. If you're moving 60 or 80 kilo bales, that's a heavy product to move around the world. So what do I think is the most environmentally thing to do? Well, firstly, get behind the new varieties that British growers are bringing to the market. They don't get the same marketing spend. We don't have the same marketing budgets as USA hops. The industry is tiny by comparison. So we just haven't got the same bang for the buck. Mm. But look at the new varieties coming through. There's some really exciting new varieties coming through. None of them are quite a citra, but some of them are not far off. Can you give um, us some examples? Like, of... Yeah. So varieties like Endeavour, um, Jester, Olicana, Harlequin. Harlequin's really exciting. GP75, Ernest. And I've given you those names. I've got another nine in an experimental plot, which we've just been doing assessments on. I'd like to think we'll be bringing through two or three of those over the next couple of years. But COVID makes that hard as well because new varieties need investment. Mm. And right now, there's no money to make that investment. So I would, I would, my shout out to brewers would be look at the new varieties that are coming through and, and don't just, don't dismiss them. Brew with them. Brew with them. Pilot, pilot brew with them. Try them and try them in combination because most beers have got a combination of four yep. or five hops in. So just 
always put a British hop in your beer. If it's not the preeminent flavour hop, so be it. But make the other three or four a British hop and do what's right for the environment because then you haven't used all that carbon shipping hops halfway around the world. We've got to start thinking about this stuff. Yeah. I also think brewers possibly need to start pushing other beer styles more than just IPAs and New England IPAs and double IPAs and anything that's basically an IPA um, in, in the American sense, I mean. Um, and I, I mean, I do, I do understand as a brewer myself that the market wants what it wants. And, you know, I've, I've tried brewing like, um, like a, a red rye before and they're just like impossible to shift. And, you know, no matter how much I'm like, yeah, but taste that spicy rye character. People just like, I don't like it, you know? So, but you know, you do an IPA and everyone wants to buy it and you've got that whole tension. Um, part of it is, part of this is, um, uh, cultural and generational and most importantly people buy with their eyes mm. um so what do i mean by that if you look at the apple market in the uk we buy red apples or pink apples we don't really buy green apples if you go into the supermarket the only green apples really are bramley which is a cooking apple we buy with our eyes the redder and shinier the better and it's the same with beer. My father and grandfather drank Best Bitter, which was dark. That's old-fashioned. So it's got, a, regardless of taste or flavour, there is a perception, a generational perception, that that's old-fashioned. And what's new and modern and funky is paler, clearer, or cloudier, depending on where you sit on that beer spectrum of um, sours and um, cloudy beers. Um, but it's paler. You can produce some really lovely pale ales and even um, um, imperial pale ales with British hops. And there are some cracking examples out there. There's some really nice examples where Jester has been used or Olicana has been used or Harlequin um, or Endeavour, actually. Also, Admiral, that's quite an old hop. It's got a really resinousy, orangey characteristic. Mm, I love Admiral. Uh, yeah, and so that's another one that's quite good. Uh, and that's particularly good if you're trying to get high bitterness units because it's got quite um, a high alpha acid. So there are hops there, but it just it's really easy to use citra. You know what you're going to get. It's, a bit, it's sort of like McDonald's, isn't it? But I, I, but that's the, the thing. But that's the thing, though, isn't it? I I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Citra. Everyone loves Citra. But when you come across a lot of New England IPAs, particularly in, in this country, um, in Britain, where you, you can guarantee it's like so many breweries are producing the same Nipa. It's Citra. It's Mosaic. It's Simcoe. Like, and it, it's that combination all the time. And the amount of New England IPAs that I've tried, I'm just like, well, yeah, that tastes like the last one I had. And that tastes like the last one. Whereas these days, I kind I have a much greater thirst for beers that are different. And well, I'll give you an example. I mean, and um, this will illustrate the point. So, Utopian Brewing in um, Devon use one hundred percent British ingredients. So, all their hops will be British hops, but they, they make amazing beers. And yeah, I know they're a large producing brewery, but they're just utterly fantastic. And it's it's different than having that same holy trinity of hop combination. Yeah, and I think 
perhaps um, I choose my words carefully now, um, but perhaps it takes a bit more thought and effort to produce something that the market wants with ingredients that less people are using um, because it means that it's harder. It's easy with citra. You can just copy what everybody else is doing. Mm. But if, you, if you're going to choose to use an ingredient that less people are using, then there will be less points of reference. Um, and I guess we've got, um, we've got quite, it, it, we've got two ends to the brewing spectrum in the UK. We've got your very traditional regional brewers who have been doing what they're doing for years. And you've got some amazing master brewers. And actually, they do know their British shops inside out. Um, and then you've got this, the youthful end of the industry, the other end of the industry, um, often with less formal training um, and and therefore, ergo, less knowledge. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... I, I think I would come back to um, there are some great British hops. Um, it, it, it probably feels like it's a bit more of a risk mm. because um, they're not as well known. Um, but there are some breweries who are doing making some amazing beers where British hops are the the base, sometimes the only hop, but certainly the base. Um, uh, y Valley locally to me is a really good example yeah. of another brewery brewer who is absolutely passionate about his hops and actually Vernon brought me to tears quite literally um before Christmas because you know we're all having a hard time um and he called to the door and he went round to the local hop growers and he called to the door with bottles of beer and just said I know it's tough and it is hard but hang on in there and here's some beer and happy Christmas and it's like you know so um, it's that it's that it's that that we need to try and engender mm. within the industry to just you know get behind your hop growers and get behind your local industry. Um, there's been a lot of investment in the British hop industry in the last seven or eight years. A lot of investment in new kilns, new drying facilities, new picking facilities. So those growers actually who've made all that investment, who are producing a great quality product. They've now quite highly geared. Yeah. They've got big loans that need to be paid off. Mm. Um, so, what what is climate change going to mean, like actually mean for hot farmers like yourself, when the, the you know the temperatures do soar hotter and hotter each year, and the the winters get wetter or colder, or, or the weather basically gets more extreme. So it's definitely already happening. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Um, and I think as farmers, we're much co closer to really understanding weather patterns um, probably than anybody else um, in the country. Yep. Um, my husband has got four weather apps on his phone and he's got a weather station. We're, we're absolutely obsessed by the weather because it can make such a massive difference, yep. not only to daily tasks and daily processes, um, but ultimately to what we produce and therefore how much money we make. Um, the last 10 years, the winters are definitely wetter. Um, we might feel like this is a colder winter. It's been an incredibly wet winter again, mm. second year in a row. Um, flooding incidents are much more frequent 
Um, and, and what that means is we're getting much more water much faster. And that, from a farming point of view, is quite hard to deal with, depending on the soil that you're on. Um, and we are getting much hotter in the summer. Yeah. So what does it mean for us? Um, we are looking at um, breeding in some um, climate change resistance. So hops that are able to cope with um, wetter conditions in the winter, milder conditions in the winter, hotter conditions in the summer, because all of those things they don't really like. So those things are being factored into the breeding programme. Um, probably one of the most positive things that hop farmers um, have kicked off, in, uh, which has got a direct climate change impact in the last three or four years, funnily enough, is a soils project. It's a little soils project. It's something which we've um, launched with Innovative Farmers, uh, which is a stream of funding for um, farmers who want to test and trial something. One of the downsides to hop farming is that traditional practices would have you have bare soil in your hop yards or your gardens um, year round, but especially in the winter. Mm. Um, and one of the reasons for that is a disease called verticillium wilt. You don't want weeds, particularly broadleaf weeds, in your hop yard because they can be um, they can bring verticillium wilt in, and wilt kills hops. Yep. So the cleaner your ground, the better. But bare soil is really bad from the point of view of emissions um, and runoff and all the rest of it. So one of the projects that we've kicked off is a cover crop project where we actually immediately after the hops are harvested, we plant a green crop, a short, like a, a um, oat, um, grass, phacelia type crop. Um, in the hop rows, so that over winter, there is no bare, bare soil. Um, there is a crop there all year. That's really good for the soil quality. Um, and it's very positive from a carbon emissions and, and more importantly, sequestration point of view, because the growth of that crop, it, it will sequester carbon. So it's a really positive initiative. Um, and it's not something that the rest of the world is doing. That's something that's unique to the UK. So what to answer your question, what are hop growers doing? They're breeding in climate change resistance mm. to their hops. Um, and we are looking at projects that reduce our energy usage and increase our ability to sequester carbon and protect our soils. Yeah. And what will happen to hop farmers when the weather gets more extreme? Um, let's say by the end of the decade. Um, I mean, how is that going to affect actual you know the crops and the yields you get um you know in the uk or in the states or in europe or you know new zealand or wherever so british varieties i'm generalizing because there are differences yep. but british, british hop varieties generally don't enjoy um 30 degree plus days for more than five days so if we start to see weeks of 30 degree plus that will be a challenge and it will challenge yields. Yeah. Um, equally, if we get very wet winters, hops don't like wet feet. They don't like the roots, don't like being waterlogged. So um, you can mitigate that through improving your drainage. So you can deal with it. Um, but we are talking, we are beginning to get to that point where, not just in farm terms, but actually societal, 
we we are we could do some storm drains really couldn't we you know storm drains are something you see in the mediterranean mm. um they're not something that you tend to see in the uk but we are reaching that point where um we're going to have to start changing the infrastructure um and then i guess um there will also from a from a yield point of view the other thing that climate change could bring us is different pests and different disease yeah um that's something which uh, is not just climate change related there are always new pests and new diseases that emerge that's the natural cycle of life but that's more likely um to create a challenge as well yeah oh i was going to ask what sort of pests and disease um hops can succumb to at the moment um so i mean m maybe you could talk about that and then talk about potentially what kind of pests hops you know in a warmer um summer for example might um come up against um so generally speaking um we the aphid loves hops damson hop aphid absolutely loves them um, and what we tend to do is um, measure, we call it measuring the threshold. So we go out with a magnifying glass every week and we have a look at um, how the population is building. And, and only when it reaches a certain point do we then act. Um, so to be really clear about this, yes, we spray, we have to, because if we don't deal with an aphid um, fly-in, um, they literally will eat the crop. They will decimate it. There will be no hops. Um, but we only act when we can see that the population is reaching a certain point. Mm. Um, but aphid, the other one is um, a, a little spider, red spider, that likes particularly likes hot weather. So that, going back to our climate change discussion, may be something we see more of in the future. In terms of disease, actually, yes, hop growers do have to spray. 80% of what we do is not to do with little critters. It's to do with our climate. And the fact that we've got quite a damp climate mm. uh, means that we have to deal with mildews. Um, so about 80% of what we're protecting the crop against are mildews, powdery mildew, downy mildew. And then... Um, we also, um, I guess the number one disease that nobody wants is um, verticillium wilt. And verticillium wilt is something which um, is soil-borne. It got introduced into hop yards at the turn, um, not the turn of the century, got introduced into hop yards um, when, uh, during the war, the country, we had to feed the nation, and hop yards got turned into potato ground, so that so hops are taken out potatoes are put in and then after the war the hops went back in and the potatoes had introduced verticillium wilt into the soil and it gradually um it decimated the uk industry actually um but we have now we've bred our way out of it i love my breeding program mm. um because all of the hops that we grow today almost all not quite but almost all are either verticillium wilt tolerant or resistant. Yep. Uh, the only exception to that is fuggle, lovely fuggle. Um, so we have to be terribly careful about making sure that we've got really strong biosecurity measures in place wherever fuggle is grown so that we're not bringing um, verticillium wilt yeah. in. There's no treatment for verticillium wilt. The only treatment, you can look at this through the lens of a brewer, the only treatment is to take the hops out 
and put the land to grass for seven years. So that would be like getting a yeast infection in your brewery and having to close it for seven years. Wow. It's, it all sounds so intense. <laughs> like, you know, it is I, quite I, intense. I could, yeah. I, I mean, I'd, I'd, it's, I mean, this might be a bit of a, a, a downer to end on. Um, and I guess I wanted to touch upon it earlier. Um, but you, you mentioned about suicide rates amongst farmers being really high. I mean, can you, can you talk about that a bit more, like why that is and um, just elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, yes, I can. Uh, farming is quite a lonely business. That's the first thing. Mm. You're running your own business. The buck stops with you yep. and you're stuck in the middle of nowhere. Um, you will probably have, you probably will be seeing people every day, but they're members of staff that are relying on you to show leadership, give out the work for the day, etc. cetera. Um, you may not have much time in your week or even your weekend to be meeting up with friends. So it's quite different to a normal, to, if you think about an office environment, where you're going to work and you can have a coffee with a mate or you can stand and chat over the water cooler or go and have a smoke outside. Farmers don't have that in their day-to-day working mm. life. So that's the first thing. It's quite lonely. Um, and actually that's where meetings are really, really important for farmers because when they do have a reason to get together and the number of times I've been to a meeting with my husband and we've gone and he's all down in the dumps about something, gets to the meeting, has a chat with everybody else, realises they've all got the same problem with whatever disease, pest, weather issue is getting him down. And he comes home much lighter Mm. because once you know that it's not just you, that does help. Um, But I think we've had a lot of quite extreme weather and that can impact quite significantly on income and and then there's covid uh, and all of those things i mean covid is whether you farm or not covid's quite a high anxiety thing that we've all been living yeah. with quite a lot of my friends who've got nothing to do with farming have said they just stopped watching the tally they've just stopped listening to it because it does just engender a lot of anxiety a lot of worry when you're trying to run a business as we are in our sector um, where at points in the you've got a lot of people and you've got to try and keep COVID out of that business, that increases your anxiety level. Um, and then you've got for hop growers, um, you've now got a disease that means that nobody wants your product and you haven't got an income. So you add all those things together um, and I am very concerned about mental health and well-being in the sector i think it's um particularly as we go into another year um where it looks like um it's going to be loss making you can't sustain that Mm. and and so then that then raises the question of well what do we do do we do something different and and that's a bit like saying to a brewer um you can't brew anymore you need to go and do something new now what are you going to do go train in cyber (laughs) Yeah, but it, then it's a whole career change. And even if you stay farming, but you farm something else, it's not necessarily something you've got an expertise in. It might be like saying to a brewer, you can't brew in, you can't brew beer any longer, but I'd like you to go and make cider. Or I'd like you to go and make whiskey. You wouldn't know where to start because you've never done it before. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, but there are, um, if there are farmers listening to this, 
there are some really good organisations. Um, you are not alone. There's a good organisation around us, Yana, um, the Farming Community Network, um, uh, and also um, the RABI. There are some excellent networks that are there for farmers to reach out to. And if there are brewers listening to this who are also feeling like life is getting them down, those same organisations would help them too and point them in the right direction. Yeah, plus there's the, uh, the Drinks Trust as well um you know that yeah. are doing excellent work so well ali th- thanks for being on the podcast um I, if people want to find out more about um the british hop association or maybe connect with you how can they do that so um unfortunately my email address is really easy to find on um google if you just google me you will find my email address um but britishhops.org.uk is the website um and you can find me on twitter at ali kappa and i'm reasonably responsive Great, brilliant. Well, thank you. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.